Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, the show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, hey, it's Saturday, and you're back, and you're reading your Bible, and that's a good thing. That's a great thing. Good job. Yep. Keep up the good work. Gold stars all around. If you're listening to this, go see Pastor PJ in the next week, and he will give you the best gold star you've ever received. It's going to be a metaphorical gold star. <laughs> with uh, with actual uh, weight and heft that you could sell for a good deal of money today. Metaphorically, yes. <laughs> it will be a high five. <laughs> high five. I don't think that's as valuable, but okay. We'll hey, it. it is. It's eternally valuable. Okay. Um, hey, February, Valentine's Day. This yes, month, are you a big Valentine's Day guy? No, I'm not. Neither am I. I mean, I, I appreciate the opportunity to stop and to be thankful for my spouse, but right. um, never been. I, I mean, I, after growing up, I, I'm good. Like I, I, I got married. I have my wife. I love her. I we, we exchange love all the time. We tell tell each other we love each other. We buy each other presents. So I don't feel like it's a big deal in our home. Yeah, you guys. When did you guys stop? Or did you ever? I've never been a big Hallmark holiday fan. I'm sure that surprises no one. What? Um, you're such a softie though. Am I though? And you're so tender and just gentle and lowly. I didn't why, even quote a book. but <laughs> See, I don't, why? <laughs> Sarcasm? I don't. I'm just trying to highlight the fact that you are the least feminine guy I know. Okay, well that's good. I'll take that. I mean, that's where I was trying to, I was trying to get at. Okay. Like you're just not that kind of guy. Okay. Well, that, yeah, that's that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I, I just, I don't, I don't like Hallmark trying to steal money from me. I just like, is okay. So we say it's a Hallmark holiday. Did they really put this on the calendar? I don't know. I don't. Even, it, apparently, there were like six Saint Valentines too, and we don't even know. And there was one Pope that was some Valentine guy, and <laughs> I don't know what any of it has to do with candy hearts and like cut out cards that our kids give each other. And so stuff. we're celebrating a Roman Catholic holiday. Is that what yes, you're telling me? Yes, we need to repent, man. Look, we need man, a reformation. Here's the here it is at the end of the day. If you need Valentine's Day to be a reminder for you to take your wife out or to date your wife or to do other marital things with your wife, you need to come in for counseling. Like we need, we've got bigger problems than this. So, um, and you too, ladies, if you need a day on the calendar to be romantic with, well, your yeah, that's and that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, right. It's a, it goes both ways. It, yeah, guys get the short end of the stick because most often we're the guilty. Couples. Well, in the like leadership element, yeah, the leadership, too, you know, and there's a, it's a both end. It is a both and. It's a give and take. Yeah. All I got to say is some of y'all have been praying and fasting for far too long out there. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Said it. It's on the podcast. I'm just going to let the silence say everything I'm thinking. Okay, good. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on. Valentine's Day. St. Patrick's Day is the same thing. It's like. Yeah, that let's one. Die Rivers Green and get drunk for Jesus. Like what, what are we doing? I, I don't even I don't know. I think St. Patrick would appreciate that very much. No, I don't think so either. He was at least a, a dude that did something. I don't even know what this Valentine guy did. Well, it's St. Valentine, so I'm guessing he's connected to some kind of mythology, legend of sainthood. Mythology. Yep, that's what it is in the Roman Catholic Church. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's not too it's far. Not far. It's, too far from it's not far from the truth. Hey, let's talk about the actual truth, though. Let's talk about God's Word. Do it. Now that all of the ladies are upset let's with go. us, and they're like, how dare you? I mean... How dare you? You just got into everyone's kitchen you and just, their bedrooms. Yep. You just took Valentine's Day away from me. Well, I was okay. going to get roses. You get and more a card Valentine's. If, and they, if they heard you right, they get more Valentine's. Exactly. Exactly. Twi- twice as much. Yep. Five times as much. Yep. In fact, you know what I do? I do 
I do sell. I, I get my daughter a rose on Valentine's Day oh. each year because I want to outpace her future boyfriends already. And I want wow. them to be behind from the moment they start dating her. Wow. Yep. You buy her a rose for every year that it is? So like she's uh, she's 12? No, just so a, like a single. Roses, just a single. Yeah. Oh, so okay. she has 12. She has 12. Yeah. For every year. But, got it. Okay. Yeah. So. You, you realize that a guy only has to buy a dozen roses then to catch up with you right now, right? Dude, listen. <laughs> listen. <laughs> no, there's a guy on uh, on social media who uh, who talks about all these dusty boys. He's like, hey, all you dusty boys out there, just know that that I'm doing this with my daughter. I'm, I'm showing her this. I'm teaching her this so that when you get around, you better be better than this. So mm. like, he te- takes her out camping and oh, cool. you know, also teaches her some life skills and stuff. That's and, helpful. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So... Anyways, we were going to get into the Bible. Let's get into the Bible and the feast of the firstborn, the dedication of the firstborn. My daughter's not my firstborn. My son is my firstborn, uh, who was just baptized recently, Joshua. And so, uh, yeah, he, I, I guess, is consecrated to the Lord, right? Is he? I mean, I guess at this dispensation, yeah, you would have taken all the firstborns and con- consecrated them to the Lord. Right. But then the Levites come in, swoop in, they take this whole role, right? They become the they consecrated do. ones. They do. Yep. So that. No longer do they have to do that? No longer. Yep. You mentioned the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We get that uh, unpacked for us starting in verse 3. But notice in verse 5, the connection here, again, back to the Abrahamic covenant. I'm going to keep pointing it out because it is so significant. Verse 5, And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. By the way, the Jebusites, anytime you read Jebusites, think about Jerusalem. Jebusites were the inhabitants of Jerusalem that stayed there until King David's time because they were one of the tribes not driven out in obedience to God's command. Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land. Again, there's the concept land flowing with milk and honey. He shall, you shall keep the service in this month. So here, while looking forward to observing the feast of unleavened bread, while they're in the land, he's hearkening back to and reminding them of the, the promise that undergirds everything going on right now, which is uh, the Abrahamic covenant. And so we see that there in verse five. Verse eight, we see that the uh, this whole thing, the Passover, the, the the Feast of Unleavened Bread was to be a teaching opportunity for parents to, to tell future generations what the Lord had done. We pick up on that again in verses 14 through 15 of chapter 13. And so uh, th- this was to not just a, a, a liturgical thing, not just a, a religious thing to, to do, to, to celebrate, to put on the calendar, but this was supposed to be something that, that had significance to the people that they were to, to replicate and rehearse and teach through this uh, throughout the generations to come. Yeah, I guess one thing I'd like to point out to you, uh, verses, let's see, we got verse three, by a strong hand, the Lord brought you out from this place. Verse, uh, I see verse nine here, a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. Verse 16, it shall be a mark on your hand or frontless between your eyes for by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. So clearly in this little section here, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, God's really concerned that you understand some of the why behind this. And and the biggest why is that God himself is the strong hand. He's the deliverer. He's the one who's enabling them to enjoy this feast and to enjoy their freedom. And that's something that he never wants them to forget. He's so concerned about it that he wants wants them to have a feast that commemorates not necessarily the the bread itself, obviously. Um, the, the deliverance is by God. They want them to remember him. They want them to realize that he is their deliverer. He is their strong one. Yeah. Verses 17 through 22, then of chapter 13, I, I titled this section, A Divine GPS, Recalculating. Oh, that's cool. You turn up ahead. Yeah. It says there right at the beginning that there would have been a, a logical way for the Israelites to progress at this point, but that would have been to go through the land of the Philistines. Uh, that would probably be the, the easiest path. And yet God did not want them to go through the land of the Philistines because he knew 
they would encounter opposition. So instead, he established a way to lead them. And if they weren't to go that way without him verbally telling Moses, okay, turn here, turn here, do this, do this. He came up with another way to do this, and that's through the revelation of his presence and his glory with them through the pillar of fire and the the, uh, the pillar of, or, of, of smoke or the cloud uh, that led them. And so that was the way that they knew that they were going in the right direction. Man, I, I, wouldn't that be great if we just could say, okay, we know we're, we know we're doing what God wants us to do because there's follow the pillar the of fire. <laughs> follow the cloud, follow the fire. Yeah. Dude, I'm, I'm just stoked by the fact that in verse 17, for God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. God has his finger on the pulse of his people. Yeah. Like he is acutely connected to their emotional state, their their mental state. I mean, these guys were just slaves in Egypt. And now he's thinking, I can't take them that way because you're not ready for that. Yeah. They're not ready to face that kind of opposition. And so he's like, we're just going to give you the baby steps. I'm going to, I'm going to send you this way because this is what you need. Now, never doubt that God knows exactly what you need. He's so attuned to your needs. He's willing to divert this whole people in order for them to avoid facing war. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah and it, it, it's also foreshadowing because he knew his people and he was accurate in his knowledge because we'll see in the coming chapters that's exactly what they're going to want to do without even war coming up against them with, yeah. with just being thirsty. Baby obstacles. Yeah. Little speed bumps. Like, oh, let's just go back home. Right. <laughs> right. Well, the first obstacle shows up then in, in chapter 14, and it's a big one. It's, it's an entire body of water, in fact. Um, it, it's interesting because in verses 1 through 4, God places Israel in a tactically vulnerable position. And I think he does this both to continue to draw out their faith in him and to finish his judgment on the Egyptians. There there was a a way, depending on, and and there's a lot of ambiguity here, guys, geographically speaking, about where we we have a general idea of where we think Sinai was, but a lot of these different place locations that we read about, we don't know exactly their precise location on all of them. But there was a way that would have made sense for them to kind of go up and around the, the Gulf of a of Aqaba there and, and to continue around the horn and go down into the Southern area of the Sinai Peninsula there and, and just to go straight there. But instead God kind of has them double back here and puts them up against the Red Sea. And, uh, and here comes Pharaoh because Pharaoh all of a sudden, I guess, what did I just do? Yeah. Comes to his senses, although not really. And this is again, I think is evidence of, of God hardening his heart because talk about short-term memory loss, dude, you just think about everything that you just went through, including the fact that your son is dead and you want to go back after these people right now. Like you think that's going to go well for you. Could have been the fact that he's grieving blind rage. You know, one of those things like I'm just going to get my pound of flesh could have been, although it seems that there's some sort of economic situation. What is this? We've done. We've let Israel go from serving us. So it seems there that he's going, man, now, now we're we're going to have to do all this work. Yeah. Either way, he, he takes, his armies. Now, let's be clear. This is not the entirety of the Egyptian army. Um, probably a lot of the, the the key leaders. In fact, the text even says as much later on. But uh, but he takes a, a large force in chariots and horses, and he goes after the Israelites here to, I guess, bring them back would be the, the implication there. But God brings Israel up against the Red Sea on one side, and then the armies of Egypt coming against them on the other. And, uh, and this is where we get into some of the questions that, uh, that befall the, the, the passage, because uh, for example, where, where was the Red Sea? Where did this take place? Well, we know where the Red Sea is, but where on the Red Sea did the crossing take place? That's a question that's asked and debated amongst scholars. And it depends on, on, uh, on the location it has a lot to do with that. Uh, when you think about how long it took for the, the, the people of Israel to cross, that has something to do with that. When you think about that though, we also have to ask the question, how many people actually are there 
gathered here in Israel. And, yeah. and, and that's, that's questionable. In Genesis 46, 27, remember how many people came down to Egypt with Jacob? There were 70, 70 total, right? So there was rapid growth in Egypt. We know that from Exodus 1, 7, that God blessed them and they, they were growing growth that made Egypt uncomfortable and nervous that they eventually enslaved the people. And this was large enough growth to be immensely valuable to them as a, a, an enslaved people. The Pharaoh didn't want to let them go. He knew that that would be costly to him. In fact, yeah. even here, after he lets them go, he regrets that. So uh, Numbers chapter 1, verses 17 through 46, um, we get a, a tally of the people there. And at that point in time, they the, the, the estimation is 600,000 fighting men in Numbers chapter 1, Okay. That would mean that that this force, that this group of Israelite slaves that are encamped by the, the Red Sea here of 600,000 people of just fighting age uh, was a, a number that could easily be north of 2 million people. Think about that for a second. Uh, the DFW Metroplex is, is growing fast, but uh, when I was growing up here and then even in college and, and seminary, it was about 3 million people. So two-thirds of the DFW Metroplex. Imagine taking two-thirds of the DFW Metroplex and dropping them next to Lake Louisville and saying, hey, we're going to cross over dry land on, uh, uh, here at Lake Louisville. How long do you think that would take? And so there's questions there about that. But there's other positions other than, the, than that, that it might not have been 2 million people. PR, do you want to speak to that? A little bit, yeah, and part of the reason here. So let's let's put something on the table. Um, ver- chapter twelve, we, we just we kind of passed by this. We didn't talk about this. Chapter twelve, verse thirty-seven. People is of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about six hundred thousand men on foot, besides women and children. So there, there's there's more there's corroboration the yep. for the what we read in Numbers chapter one. It's also there as well. So when we're, we're working with these numbers, you might say, well, mm-hmm. Pastor PJ, it it says it right there. Right. If you're taking six hundred thousand men, it's not a, a stretch to think there's probably two million people. Now here's the thing, we would say. If that's what the Word of God says, man, we're all about that. Right. We have no problem saying God is able to multiply that many people and to get them across the Red Sea, and even still to call them small and, and to call them uh, relatively insignificant. You know, they're not trained to fight; they're weak. They've been enslaved, enslaved, and, and now I mean, they're probably not having the best diet, so they probably weren't a strong and mighty people, regardless of how young they were and how numerous they were. That being said. There are questions in our text, legitimate questions where you would ask, okay, uh, the numbers that we put here are our best understanding of the numerical system that the Hebrews used, but there are legitimate questions. Is this the best representation of the numbers that are there? And that's an honest question. It's an honest question that a Bible-believing Christian who believes in the infallible, inspired word of God can ask with a clear conscience. So whether it's a much smaller number, which is possible, or whether it's the number 2 million, which is also possible, we're saying, hey, God took this small people, insignificant people, and he led them across the Red Sea, wherever, where it is, we don't know exactly where. We trust that he knows where, and, the, and that's fine. It's, it's an historical event, it's all the same. But all that said, um, sometimes we as Christians can look with a sideward glance at scholarship and say, well, scholarship is tends to be liberal. And all I, of it. I, all of it, yes. Yeah. Scholarship is liberal, and they're always trying to say, does the Bible really say? In fact, I saw this on Twitter slash X not too long ago um, on a different topic. And what we want you to understand is that we are, we are committed. Inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God. We believe 100%. that. We believe that. And the question then is, well, what does it say? Um, when you read the English text, um, there's lots of things underneath in the original languages that sometimes are just, they're just questions. It's not that we're questioning God or it's not that we're challenging God. We're just saying there's question marks in terms of the actual number of Israelites that are being represented. Right. And, and w- without going too far into detail, there, there's 
a, a Hebrew word there that could reference either the the uh, the individuals or it could reference groups. And so there's a way to read it in in a way that that is again to Pastor Rod's point faithful to the text. Uh, but would not produce that 600,000 number, but a, a smaller number um, that would probably put close to 500 fighting men rather than 600,000 fighting men. And you say, well, that's a big gap. Huge. But it has to do with whether or not that word is referencing individuals or whether that's referencing groups yeah. um, of people there. So, yeah. Anyways, that's helpful and not confusing. It's probably if confusing. you're confused by this, man, we are sorry. We just want this is one of the reasons why we wanted to go through the Bible with you. Right. We'd rather you hear it from us so that we can talk you through it than to hear it from Bart Ehrman or right. some other. A critic of the faith. We see this and we recognize it that it is a challenge, but it does not change the fact. Doesn't undermine God's anything. word is the same. It is yeah. trustworthy. It is inspired and fallible. It's just areas like this where it's like, okay, this is worth knowing. Right. Right. There Helpful. Yep. Yep. Well, you may know the rest of the story, but uh, the the Israelites walk across dry land and uh, and get the breath of God's nostrils <laughs> pile up the water on either side. I, I love that. Um, and they go across dry land and Pharaoh looks at his army and is like, what are you waiting for? Get in there. Go get him. And they go in and all of Pharaoh's army did the dead man's float as, uh, as the song says. Um, did you ever sing that one growing up? I don't up? know that. Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Wasn't, I wasn't raised in the church, bro. Ooh, baby. Let my people go. Huh? Hey, ooh, baby. Oh yep. man. No, it's true. This is, is Pharaoh, this like Pharaoh. an R&B song from the nineties? It's 90s? not. <laughs> Inappropriate. Inappropriate. <laughs> it's I would never let song. my kids sing that. It's a, it's How a you? banging youth song, man. <laughs> it's a banging youth song. Yeah. No cap. <laughs> No cap. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. So they, they all die. Uh, and, but notice here in verses 24 and 25, that it's the Lord who fights for Israel. And and that's what they recognize here. This is a supernatural occurrence here. It's, it's not just to, in fact, uh, super helpful commentary. We haven't, I don't think we've done this, but, um, a couple of helpful commentaries for you on Exodus. If you're interested in picking one up for yourself, uh, the one by Dwayne Garrett is called a commentary on Exodus. My man. Um, Dwayne Garrett, G-A-R-R-E-T-T, Dwayne, D-U-A-N-E, uh, Dwayne Garrett, commentary on Exodus, super helpful commentary there. The other one that I've found helpful is the, uh, uh, the, uh, FB, what does that FB stand for? Um, following the Bible, not fo- focus on the Bible. Focus on yeah. The Bible. Uh, it's called Exodus, um, God's kingdom of priests. And that's by Alan Harmon. Alan Harmon is the author there. That one's good. The New American Commentary on Exodus is good as well. Uh, Also, your Bible knowledge commentary is going to provide helpful insights as we've said in the past, but these are good ones. Anyways, Garrett says about the, the death of the Egyptians. He says this, it's important to recognize that the Egyptians were not simply killed by the sea. They died because they fell into panic and disorder at the crucial moment when escape was still possible. The point here is that the sea need not have been of enormous width at the point at which Israel crossed it. The safety of the shore was not so far away that flight was impossible, but thrashing horses and terrified drivers could not make their way to it, which speaks to, I think, that this is a God thing and not just a, a natural, here comes the water and the water took them out thing. Right. So the, the judgment was more than just the fact that they drowned. The judgment was God actually threw them into this panic, which the text says, and they were unable to, to, to get back to safety. Yeah, what, what an incredible thing to behold, the, the judgment of God. This is a small microcosm of what God's going to do at the end of humanity. I mean, yeah. It's not going to look the same, but right. the flood of God's righteous wrath will destroy his enemies. I encouraged our teenagers not too long ago, this last weekend actually, at our winter retreat to make sure that they're on the right side of God. None, none of us yeah. are inherently right with him. I was quoting a song by Alan Jackson. Maybe you know the song. It's called We're All God's Children. You know mm-hmm. the song? We're all God's children. He says, here comes a Muslim, here comes a Jew, here comes a... 
a something in a Muslim too or a Mormon too, something like that. And then he says, we're all God's children. We're all God's children. Um, nope. Why can't we be one big happy family? Like that's, that's what he says. And I, I, I shared that with the students saying, look, is this true? Is this true? And of course the answer is no. no. We're not all God's children. Right. John 1, 12. To those who believed him, who uh, to those who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Uh, unless we're children of God, unless we're right and we're connected with him appropriately, we all will suffer the same wrath and the same judgment that the Egyptians did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, again, this is not the entirety of Pharaoh's army as a whole. Um, he does go back, and there there are more. Uh, are, more military forces there. It's not like Egypt has been completely stripped of its entirety of its armed forces, but this is a large uh, section here. And we talked about it at the very beginning. Why is there no evidence in Egyptian annals of this? Well, they're not going to record their defeats. They're going to celebrate their victories. And this was certainly a defeat for the Egyptians. Humiliating defeat. Yeah. Not just a defeat. If they're as small as we suspect they may be, they're insignificant and they're their slaves, no one's going to want to repeat this. Yep. But I yep. do like the response of the people, in particular Moses, their leader. Yep. This is the right response. Yeah, and, and I, I noted that too. Belief, right? They saw the great power of the Lord used against the Egyptians and the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord. So at least for now, there's belief. And then mm. there's worship in chapter 15, at the, the beginning right. of chapter 15, this song. And it's not necessarily that this song happened immediately after the crossing of the Red Sea. In fact, there's lines about the fear of the Canaanites in verses 14 through 16, which may imply that this was written later on down the road um, after the news had spread about what God had done there in uh, in in Egypt with the Exodus. But uh, this song was a way to remember God's faithfulness and to pass it on from generation to generation and to celebrate his goodness and to worship him. A couple quick notes here. I really love Verses 11 and 12. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Yep. Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. I love the, the depiction of God as the warrior God, the divine warrior who conquers his foes. He's not even trying. He's not even flexing. He's just, yeah. he's just doing his thing. That's the, the pinnacle of the song, I think. It's beautiful, yeah. too. Man, I wish it, we should do a song. We should make a song from that. That's a good, that's a good line. I also noticed, too, Miriam essentially quotes this song as she dances with her tambourine in hand, and Scripture calls her the prophetess. What do we do with that? I, I wasn't she prepared is? for that answer. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah. Again, we do not prepare. This is all on the fly. Yeah, yeah so Miriam the prophetess, she, she, this, this is a designation that not many women receive in the Scriptures. Right. She's the first one. Right. because of her role here, and she's called a prophetess, which suggests at least one thing, I think. She had some kind of leadership in this multitude. Now, granted, clearly Moses was the figurehead. Aaron was the right-hand man, perhaps the mouthpiece most of the time. But Miriam played a role as well. And there's a few other hints in Scripture that seem to suggest that she had a, a role. Uh, what that role looked like, I don't know. But Scripture is de- deferential to her enough to call her a prophetess. I mean, if Moses is penning this, which we believe it is, He's calling her a prophetess, which is unusual. Yeah. Yes, it is. It is unusual. Um, and we'll deal with that more as we continue to see more different prophetesses. <laughs> we, will, we will deal Prophetess with that more. I. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, the rest of chapter 15, then, they we get the, the, the next obstacle. And uh, this is when they get to uh, a place that eventually wears the name Mara. Now, if you remember the book of Ruth, uh, Naomi calls herself Mara because mm. Mara means bitterness. And this stream here is called Mara because there they find bitter water. Now, bitter water was probably water that was tainted, water that was poisoned. Uh, the people grumbled against Moses saying, what should we drink then? You should have just left us in Egypt. Dude, we haven't even left yet. <laughs> what happened? Right. <laughs> what happened? We haven't even left. Right. We're not done celebrating. Right. Oh. Right. Yeah. Just, were there, weren't there any graves in Egypt for us? Yeah. Um, 
And then in verse 26, we get this statement from the Lord uh, where he says, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord, your God and do what is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians for I am the Lord, your healer. This is a, 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 a precursor to what's going to come in a couple chapters with the law and the Mosaic covenant. It's here. God is already laying the groundwork with his people of saying, Hey, there's going to be blessings for obedience and there's cursings for disobedience here. Mm-hmm. And so he's, he's establishing that reality in verse 26. Um, and, uh, and then from there, right on the heels of that, they come to Elam in verse uh, 27, which is the opposite of Mara, because there they find all of these springs of good, pure water. And it's a reminder that God does provide for his people there. What great patience on his part too. Yeah. Because I would have been pretty upset. I would have pulled over the car and said, everybody get out of the car. I'm driving away without you. And yet he he stops and he, he doesn't respond as you might imagine. Now, granted, this isn't the last response of God, but he doesn't respond with anger. He's quick to say, look, hey, if you're going to be diligent to listen, he, he first of all, he answers them before he, he actually responds to them verbally through right. Moses. He gives them the sweet water. With the log. And then he says, hey, by the way, there's more where that came from. Yep. Just be obedient, be diligent. And then he says, here's more. <laughs> here's more. Let me give you 70, which I think is a, is a uh, kind of a, a hat tip toward, hey, perfection, abundance, God's provision, 70. You just get as much as you want, as much as you need. I, I, I'm that kind of God. Yep. He's not stingy. He's not, he's not, you know, he's not unwilling to support them. He's more than willing. And man, what an interesting response from them at this very beginning of their journey and how kind of God not to respond in kind. Yeah. In fact, on that note, that abundance of God's provision, we're going to talk about that tomorrow morning at church. So make sure you're planning on being there with us. What a good precursor. And keep reading your Bibles. See you then, guys. And we'll talk to you guys tomorrow. We'll TikTok you money on TikTok words. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast.